pleased to say we are making our return. And one man who is going to be part of it, alongside myself, Corbin Middlemass, as part of the broadcast, is a man who has been part of our lives for the Australian summer of tennis for certainly my entire lifetime. He's a former tournament director of uh, multiple key events, but including the Australian Open and a former tour pro himself in Paul McNamee. And he joins me in studio. Hello, Paul. Okay, Corbin. I can't wait to work with you. It's going to be good fun. Absolutely. Great to see the ABC back uh, with live radio during this run-up and the live call. It's terrific. Do you remember as a kid listening to tennis on the radio? I did, yeah. Yeah, 20 to 8, Alf Chave um, on ABC, you know, with the reports from Wimbledon. You'd hear how Rod Laver was doing, John Newcomb, et cetera, et cetera. So I used to run up to my mum and dad's bed to listen to the the broadcast. It was 20 to 8 every morning as a little kid. I was probably six, seven, eight years old. I'll never, never forget that. And that was that. Probably Australia's heyday, when you think about it, was was incredible, the success we had back then. Uh, The ABC Listen app is the place to go. You will hear it on ABC Radio tomorrow, but to avoid disappointment, ABC Listen app, look out for that green fluffy tennis ball. If you click on that, it's got the ABC worm on it. You'll be able to hear coverage of the tournament the whole way through. I think we're on opening night together, which... He's a pretty handy start as well, by the way. Novak Djokovic is up, uh, you know, the the 10-time champion. Um, You know, he's really part of the furniture at the Australian Open. And uh, he was tremendous last year because he had to deal with um, the fact that the year before he'd been ushered out of the country, which was was a tragedy, in my opinion, um, that that happened. Uh, Probably the, the best athlete and the healthiest athlete in the world. And yet he was considered to be a risk. So that was very sad, and um, in my opinion. And... He went, and then he saw his rival, Rafa Nadal, actually win it. So instead of Novak probably winning it, Rafa won it. And so it put the gap at two in Rafa's favour. Now the gap is two in Novak's favour. Isn't it interesting? In two years, how that has changed. So he came back, um, wasn't sure what sort of reception he would get because, you know, we understood. I mean, as a Victorian, I understood how hard it was for all of us here. But he, he seemed to... He just put it behind him and, and, and focused on his tennis and played an unbelievable tournament. And so he's a defending champion and, and has to be the favourite again. Uh, we'll hear from Naomi Osaka, who's making her return at the Australian Open, and Coco Goff, the US Open champion. It's I mentioned earlier in an interview, 19 years of age. She has to be the oldest 19-year-old on the planet, Coco Goff, to think that she's achieved so much at, uh, at such a young age. And feels like we've been talking about her for years. Yes, well, she really, and she's such a, an important person in, in, in the movements, the, you know, the important social issues of the time. Coco has been a great sp- spokesperson and will be, you know, become one of the, the, the women, not just in sport, but in life, that you know, she's potentially a Time Magazine cover person, uh, Coco Goff. Yeah. She's got, and now she's won a US Open on Ash Stadium, you know, nom- named after the great American black tennis player, Arthur Ashe. So that US Open last year was phenomenal that she was able to get through and win her first major title. And um, she's a very, very special person and, um, you know, has some chance here, by the way, too. Mm. Paul McNamee is with me in studio. My name's Corbin Middlemass. This is Summer Grandstand. The SMS number 0467920222. Paul, the lead-up events. So I spoke to you about this on the phone earlier in the week. As a native Sandgroper, I grew up, of course, with the Hopman Cup, and there's a lot of people that yearn for those days. But the United Cup, which I know you're ambassador for for, uh, for the most recent tournament, um, what an I was about to say what an amazing success. What I should really say, the broadcaster in this moment is, what did you make of it all? How did you you find the the lead up event in the the United Cup? United Cup was terrific, and of course it adopted the Hopman Cup format this year, which I was advocating and pushing very hard because the format last year just wasn't going to work. Played over two days, you didn't have a result, um, and you had the five matches. So this year, going the women's singles, men's singles, mixed doubles, the tried and true format of the Hopman Cup, loved of course in Perth. 
Um, you know, and, and I, in fact, had to say to, you know, a, a gathering that in Perth, I said, look, if, if I can get over the loss of Hopman <laughs> Cup, you can too, okay? Like, it's okay. We can move on. This is a bigger and better version because it's got, you know, $10 million US dollars in prize money. It's actually the 10th biggest prize money tournament in the world. It's got ranking points 500 level for men's and women's. I mean, this is something Hopman never had. So, you know, let's move on and, and say what a great opening to the year. And, uh, you know, Tennis Australia should be congratulated for hosting this tournament, making sure it was in Australia and not in the Middle East, who were bidding hard to get this tournament. So we secured the month in Australia by having the Hopman Cup. Otherwise, many top players would have been in Doha, in Qatar, uh, last week, which is not healthy. So the actual Hopman Cup, Yes. I understand there was a tournament what, there in, was. in Europe. Yes. Does it does it actually still have the original trophy and everything? Yes, it like does. That? And I got a photo next to it. I went to Nice. I got invited. See, I've moved on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got invited and went with my wife and uh, got a hop, photo with the Hopman Trophy, photo with yeah. the Davis Cup, which was there as well because it's an ITF event. And, you know, t- it was a nice boutique tournament in Nice, I have to say. You know, it was a week after Wimbledon, which is not – a pretty tough week. Carlos Alcaraz played, came down after winning Wimbledon. That was unbelievable. So I'm always going to say nice things about Hopman Cup, of course, having started it. But uh, United Dom- Cup was terrific. Diamond tennis balls as well? They still got those? No, 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 no. no, no, no. The little touch is not quite there yet. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't get nearly enough credit for your role as the tournament director at the Australian Open and the innovation that sort of went on at that time. But I, I know you're not going to sit here and, uh, and toot no. your own horn. But no. the Sunday start this year is obviously something different. Uh, how do you feel about it coming coming out a day earlier in our 15-day tournament? Well, Roland Garros introduced it. I mean, the reality is the Grand Slams are so big in the sport and the key is to sort of tweak back the finals of the other tournaments. I think having Saturday finals, it makes it a little bit trickier and that's why you're seeing the defaults that you saw in Adelaide with yeah. the women because they've obviously got an eye on Melbourne. So I think there's got to be some adjustment there perhaps, but it's... It's kind of inevitable. The French Open was first. We've gone second with that. And I think, I think it's here to stay, the Sunday start. This is, I don't believe this is a trial. Can I put it that way? Okay. <laughs> this is what it's going to be. Yeah, and look, and look I, to be honest, I love tournaments starting on weekends. If I had my way, and I've advocated this, all tournaments should begin on a Saturday yep. and finish on a Friday night. That's the way, the, because then you can dominate the media. Because in the weekend television, you're competing with football, especially soccer in Europe and mm. and and American football and all the other things that happen on the weekend. Why, as a sport, when we are 24-7, 365 days a year, are we not starting tournaments on the weekend because you have the most number of matches on the most number of courts when kids and parents are not at school, I know it's holidays now, but for the rest of the year, and can go to all those matches and have the family atmosphere. And then your final can be showcased Friday night. And Thursday night, you know, you can... I mean, Champions League is Tuesday, Wednesday night. Tennis can own the sport on Thursdays, the world in sport. So that's why I think this is part of, of, of a realignment of tennis eventually will move in this direction. That's my opinion. Uh, it's a great point. And you think about the, you know, by the time you get to the second Saturday and Sunday, there's nothing on during Correct. the day. We're all sitting around waiting for the night time for the, the finals to be played in, in prime time. There's, there's no reason that couldn't happen uh, during the week. Um, uh, one thing I love about Grand Slams, I mentioned this earlier, that there is, every single player carries their own storyline and their own journey into it. So some players that are just flat out trying to make the draw and get the yes. $120,000 cash reward just for, yes. just for qualifying. There are other players that are playing for legacy, others that are trying to take the next step and grab the brass ring and finally be yes. a slam champion. And so you can look through all the 126 names or 28 names across the uh, across the two draws and everyone has something different. I'll just pick out a couple and we'll start there in the in the men's draw. 
Novak. It feels like we say the same thing every year with Novak Djokovic. Can anybody dethrone Novak? Is he still the, the clear number one that everyone's chasing? Well, he, he can, and, because, and in the end, it will happen. I mean, father age will always catch up. And, I mean, I think, you know, one of the reasons he's still playing is because Nadal is still playing and still hasn't given up completely on catching him in the Grand Slams, especially the French Open. That was Rafa's goal always. It wasn't here. It was the French Open. Let's be clear. That's the one he's got a shot at winning. So I think if Rafa decides to retire as, no, as Roger did, then I think Novak will think about retiring because once he has the clear space as the, as the greatest, um, you know, so I haven't made the call actually on that until Rafa actually retires so uh, I, I, we, we need to play that out so uh, he is the favourite because of his form throughout the year he won three majors um, a couple of years ago and won three three majors as well I mean he deserves to be the, the favourite for the tournament the way he played in the ATP finals when he pretty much destroyed Alcaraz and Sinner was unbelievable now Sinner of course came back and beat him in the uh, Davis Cup final but it was it was pretty dominant, Novak's performance. This slight thing is the injury cloud going in with obviously the risk that we saw in Perth. But, you know, he, he, he's a, you know I would expect him to, to be right. Uh, for tom- I mean, the fact that he's got a Sunday night start indicates to me he's 100% mm. because he didn't have to play Sunday night. He could have pushed hard to be in the you – no, know, let's play top half in this – like the women's is the, is the other way around where Swantec's not playing on Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. He could have played Monday or Tuesday, chose not to. I mean, a tournament director, you're going to listen to the number yeah, one yeah. player in the world. So that means he's he's fine. Why does it feel like there's always an injury narrative around Novak? So oh, we had come the come on. You're not, you're not buying into that. You're, you're, <laughs> you could have talked to your previous guest about that. He lives off that, <laughs> complaining it, about Djokovic. I mean, so come on. It, I mean, it's so, not true. You don't buy into any of that? No, absolutely no. not. I mean, absolutely not. I mean, he's he's been incredibly resilient um, the last few years. Early in his career, yes, he yep. had that issue. But that, is he going to carry that stigma for life? That you know that yeah. issue with Roddick and, and, and being bagged for it early in the Australian Open when he wasn't feeling good on court? Remember, he changed his whole lifestyle, his whole diet, yeah. his whole holistic behavior was based on the fact that he wasn't coping early in his career now you've got a guy who manages to control his diet in everything that goes into his body controls his his, his mind i mean he, he's human like everybody else but this aussie rap on him is is just too much for but me is honestly there, is there part of it that's i mean separate to what happened at the start of his career and everything else is there part of it the is there's a personal motivation there that it almost feels like he's yeah, he's up against it and he's battling not, at not all. just himself and trying to almost give... Because he's such a dominant champion, he's clearly the greatest... I mean, you look at his accolades, he's the greatest that we've seen. But is that part of it that to get... As we see with athletes all the time, wanting no, to no, cast themselves no, as no, the dog or... He's had to deal with a new media narrative that wanted to keep Roger yeah. Federer as, as, as the golden yeah. boy and, and followed by Rafa Nadal. So he's always going to be the bad guy. And the media, especially British, the, the Anglo-British yeah. media, just totally jumped on that. He's had a really tough time in his career dealing with that. And uh, they like to say, oh, you know, he's, he just wants to be loved and all this rubbish that, that we're still... I mean, this is a guy who just is present, holistic, and gets on with his life. I mean, for him to deal with he, what he dealt with for his mm. own convictions during COVID, whether you like it or not, or right or wrong, I mean, of course, we got vaccinated, but he, he made his decision for better or worse. He got on with his life and took the criticism face-to-face and was, and was not able to play the US Open a couple mm. of times, not able to play the Australian Open. He's got the courage of his conviction. So um, you're not going to get that. I'm not buying into that narrative. And it's driven by a lot of media. Because it's not in the locker room. I mean, you listen to the players. Who's the most popular guy in the locker room out of the top guys? It's Novak Djokovic. And they openly say it. So why is that not getting airplay? Yeah. I guess more my point of view was if you 
you're always wanting to try and slay the dragon, right? You want to sort of take down someone. And so if you're... Well, especially while Roger and Rafa were there. But if you're on top of the mountain, it's very hard to kind of go, oh, look, I've, I've got to come up against something. I've got to try and beat something. I've got to try and chase right, well, something. What do you think Leighton was doing in his career? I mean, he probably had a yeah. little chip in some ways, but oh, I, don't, no I don't see it exactly the same. No, no doubt. But, yep. it, I, you know, I, I kind of live in the Balkans, right? So, I yep. mean, my wife's Bulgarian. I live, in, I live there. He's a, he, a Novak's a god and a hero in that part yeah, of the yeah. world. They, of course, see it differently. He's very much loved in that yeah. part of the world. And, um, you know, there is a slight feeling there that the, the, the Anglo nice. kind of media has a little thing against the Balkans. I'm I just saying it, that. okay? Yeah, um, yeah. Now, ABC's in the middle of a lot of stuff with the Middle East. And, and I'm just saying that there are two sides to the story here. I'll just put that, put yeah. that out there. We're not that, we're not that kind of show that will be uh, I know, we'll be I know. <laughs> but, but, but living in the Balkans, I know what it feels like there. Yeah. And, you know, and the way, um, you know... Just the way it so is, just, the culture. It, there are cultural differences. Can I just, I just say that? Just be careful trying to cast some narratives is what you're saying around yes. Novak and the injury front. I'll yes. absolutely take that on board. Carlos Alcaraz, who's one of your favourites. Uh, I know that for sure. He hasn't been past the third round, but he's a young guy, and it's fair to say the last time he played in the Australian Open, he wasn't this version of himself where now all of a sudden he's a, he's a world beater. Uh, twice, as, well, He's won two slams since he was last year. Yeah, he, look, he wasn't because he wasn't here last year. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> <laughs> he is... An incredible player. I mean, as Novak Djokovic said, he said he's taken the best of, of Federer, Nadal, and myself. He said, you know, he returns like me. He moves like Roger and, and Rafa. He competes like Rafa. He's got the flair of Roger. I mean, this guy is the real, is, is phenomenal player. Now, so he is leading the new evolution of tennis because he's able to come into the net a lot. He's got the drop shots. I mean, the way he served out the Wimbledon final against Djokovic with those angle volleys on big points. I mean, Novak said, I've never played anything like this before. I mean, Novak knows that, that this is the guy that has got everything. Yeah. Um, but he's still young. And, you know, Yannick Sinner is a couple of years older and and is a little bit ahead of, of Carlos in terms of maturity, in my opinion. So for me, the big three has clearly moved from Federer, Nadal and Djokovic to Djokovic. Alcaraz and Sinner. They're, they are the new big three. I mean, there's, there is a gap to the next group of guys with Medvedev and Tsitsipas and Rublev and the other guys. This is the new big three. And Carlos Alcaraz is going to have an enormous career. Mm. I mean, I know it's too early to make a call, but I do think he's going to rival those three in terms of the number of wow. Grand Slams. I do think he will because he's got... Because of his game. Yeah. And, and since he was 10 years old, the Spanish were saying, this is the guy... There's going to be, like the Irish were saying about Rory McIlroy, they had all these other good golfers, but this is the guy. They've been saying all along, this is the guy. And he's very, very special. Uh, I can't think of anyone who is more entertaining on the mic and perhaps on the court than Daniil Medvedev. I'm a big (laughs) Medvedev fan. I love some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth. He's happy at times to play the pantomime villain, but he is wildly entertaining. And we know on hard courts, he's he's got the game to uh, to match. Absolutely. And he did beat Alcaraz in the semis of the US Open, which was somewhat of a surprise. And he did beat Novak Djokovic to stop him winning the calendar year Grand Slam the year before. So, I mean, so he really should be in that big three, right? So, but I am saying something a little controversial, but no, you know, Sinner took him out in the semis of the ATP finals. You know, he he's, does stand back at the back fence to return serve. He, he's got some limitations in his game, as great as he is. His personality, yeah, sure, second to none. However, and, you know, great guy, great wife, great kid, you know, um, you know, Andre Rublev's the godfather, et cetera, et cetera. You know, 
a great character in the sport, but I'm I'm sorry, we're slightly going ahead. He needs to make an adjustment if he's going to compete with, especially with Alcaraz and Sinner moving forward, because Novak can't play forever. Come on. Mm. That's uh, an interesting breakdown. Uh, Paul McNamee with me in studio off the SMS. The Terrellgan Tiger says, how great to have half of the Super Mac duo telling ABC listeners how world tennis is. Love his insights, knowledge, and passion for the game. Great discussion, Corby. Paul Mac is fantastic and so well-informed, has a real opinion. Thanks. Uh, I think that's uh, that's from Andrew in Brisbane. <laughs> Keep them coming off the SMS, 0467920222. And I've got one for you as well, which is a prediction, which I asked for earlier. Tony from Sydney, if I scroll down. Hi, Corbin. It would be great if Demon Orr played deep into the second week. My sentimental favourite for the women's is on Jabur. And Stefanos sits past in the men's. However, Djokovic owns Melbourne Park, so he's probably the favourite in the men's, uh, depending on how his wrist is. Probably can't go past Igor Sviontek. Or Elena Rybakina in the women's draw. That's from uh, Tony in Sydney. So uh, he's a wise guy. Yeah, a couple of they'll be right there at the pointy end. You think those <laughs> players? The, the guy I did mention is Alex Demon. Or obviously yes. he's a he's a big local hope. He's now a top ten player in the world. Yes. Is he capable of going deep into yes. a slam? Yes, he is capable. Um, and, and you know, and there's a special space for the top ten people. I mean, my late great partner Peter McNamara is not with us now he made the top 10 and you know Jimmy Connors sat him down and said okay you're in the top 10 now it's a club you understand that you're in the club you have to share information even about to, the other Aussies you have to learn a secret handshake to yeah well you, get, you have to share for the, against the other Aussies because yes. we're going to stick together we have to stay top 10 right so Alex is now in that club now I don't know if they're still doing that <laughs> secret staff code that they did back when Macca was top 10 but it's a very, very special place. It's rare, and he will stay there. He's the real deal. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's served. I think he's improved. His movement was always great. Um, now, there's a guy who got a little, little chip. I mean, he sort of said after he beat Djokovic, of proving people wrong. So he's, he's a little angry about maybe because Nick Kyrgios was taking. He didn't have any clear air. Mm. Well, when Nick's not playing now, he's got a lot more clear air. Clear air. I mean, I'm a big fan of Nick's, but the reality is Alex is our guy has got the chance at this tournament and he can go deep. I don't think he's quite the level of the three I was talking about. And he would be, he would admit that as well, but he has beaten Novak. Novak, I was at the match. Novak wasn't at his best, but you can't take any credit away from Alex. He hardly missed a ball. He, I mean, he'll take out Roundish in the first round and he'll keep going. That's my opinion. He'll go deep. Have I missed anyone on the men's tour that you just want to highlight before we take a look at the WTA? No, I think no. I just as I said, I think the just the big three are, are, are so much further ahead, um, in my opinion. And then you've got you've got Alex is going to lead the Aussie chart. So I think that's pretty much uh, how I see it. All right, the women's. I mean, the one thing on the men's side is Sinner yeah. and Djokovic in the same half, yeah. which is good for Alcaraz. The interesting thing is Alcaraz didn't play a lead-up tournament, so he's going to be slightly underdone. It's surprising, to be mm. honest, because and also he played in the Middle East an exhibition against Djokovic and flew back to Spain. He didn't come on to Australia. I mean, we're only thirteen hours away. I mean, I know it's a long time, but yeah, for yeah. Aussies, that's he's only thirteen hours away from being here. I was very surprised he went back to Spain, and now he's come to Australia so an interesting preparation that I think puts him slightly behind the eight ball and you know so I think Alex Demonor is in the right half let's see mm. Paul Mack to me with me in studio my name's Corbin Middlemass this is Summer Grandstand on ABC Radio across the country all right the women's draw Paul so just one thing my mistake Alex oh. Demonor is in the top half of the draw so he's in the tougher half of the draw so gotcha. he, so he's likely to play in the quarters Djokovic or Sinner so that's yeah. that just makes it a little bit a little bit harder but I think he'll he'll go deep and and make his seated position no problem I think Rublev's a round of 16 possible opponent for him depending if uh, how far you want to map it out so that's a that's a tough half for him to to be in uh, the the women's draw 
was mentioning this when we were chatting a bit earlier. Does it does it feel like the power game now is the dominant style on the women's draw where we had you know, uh, Rabakina obviously doing well last year. We had uh, Sabalenka obviously winning with that kind of style this year, uh, last year at the Australian Open. And even going back before that, um, Osaka obviously when she was in her prime and winning uh, multiple tournaments. Do you see that as the prevailing style in, in women's tennis at the moment? There was someone in the middle of it, though, wasn't there, that played yes. completely differently. Who there was, was that? Uh, someone from... Yeah. Uh, from uh-huh. nearby. Hello, uh, exactly. Ash Barty. Snap yeah. a 44-year drought so, here that played very differently. Exactly. Exactly. See, so Ash Barty proved you can play differently. You can play slice. You can play volley. You can play a different style. So, and Rib, I don't know if you pronounce it Ribikina or Ribakina, but I'll call her Ribikina. She has got a big serve, yes, but she's not as big as a Sebalenka from the back of the court. So I wouldn't describe her quite as one-dimensional as I would you know, Sabalenka Arena, who's just terrific at what she does, or like mm. a Danielle Collins who plays that boom, boom. I mean, you know, she's just in your face, and oh, I love that, and she's got great attitude. But um, And she played Barty in the final. So I think I think there is room. Angebur is a completely different player. You, you call one. her there, thought she might have a chance. Still got scars, I think, unfortunately, from that Wimbledon final where she lost to Mar- Marquette mm. to Bondrasova, which I think was a very disappointing loss for her. So I don't think she's quite ready. I think she may be at Wimbledon this year. Uh, she could come back and do what Novotna did, but I don't think she's going to be a big factor here. So, yes, the women's pa- game is based on power, um, especially the first serve. There's a big difference in the game to what it was 10 years ago. There's no doubt about it. And, of course, Barty had a very, very good serve, particularly first serve. So um, it's based around – they call it first strike tennis, the women's game. In other words, you get an opening, boom, you just go in the open court. Then you saw a, go- a girl, a lady I saw what play yesterday, Mira – Andreva from Russia is only 16 years of age. Yeah. She's got an all-court style. A little, she's got the power, but she can mix it up a bit like Hinga. So there are, it, it doesn't have to be one way. There's no prescription. And look what Alcaraz is doing. He's not repeating what Federer Djokovic and Nadal did. He's got his own style. So um, Iga is the number one, and she plays more of a power st- style. But uh, you know, I, she hasn't got the total package. That's why I'm I'm not going to pick her to win the tournament. Oh, okay. I've got I'll get your hot picks at uh, at the back end. Just on Naomi Osaka. Yes, she said yesterday in part of her press conference. Who am I to think I'm going to come back after a year out and all of a sudden blitz my way through the draw and, and well, win the whole thing? That's because she saw the draw. She's playing <laughs> Caro Garcia first round. I mean, that's a shocking draw that she yeah that she caught. I mean, there's a worse section in the draw at the top, which is I've never seen anything like that in the Grand Slam, the top four names that came out in the draw. But Osaka, um, to play Garcia first round, I mean, she's going to be very careful what she says because she may not get through that match. Um, if she gets through that match, she could go the whole way. She could actually go the whole way because she's got the game. But whether she can beat Garcia, who's a very, very good player, top 10 player in the first round, I wouldn't make that call. So I think that's... But she's going to be a big force in the sport because she has a great game, great serve, rips the ball, moves very well for her size, actually. And uh, she's a very special player and a multiple Grand Slam champion. It's great she's back here. Shavontek, Cannon, Collins, Kerber. <laughs> well, you know who's done the worst at the Australian Open out of those four players? Uh Shavontek. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I the word. I'm finalist, is, winner, finalist. Yeah. yeah, we've got two winners and a finalist and, and Swantek. Yeah. These are the top four, Jeez. right? So I've never seen it before that the top four names in a Grand Slam are so credentialed. And that's why it's so tough for players when they're coming back from injury. I mean, Sophie Canenza, she won the Australian Open a few years ago and she's, she's just in that floating section of the draw and she has to play an Australian Open um, runner-up uh, in, in yep. Collins, right? And then you've got 
and now Cannon plays Swantec first round. This, you know, she's won the tournament, Cannon, and yeah. then Swantec's. I mean, it's an unbelievable section of the draw. I mean, Kerber's there, you know, playing. Um, Kerber's playing. Uh, yeah, Collins. Collins. Yeah. yeah I mean, what a section. Oh. I mean, whoever goes through there will will, will be very tired. <laughs> Paul McNamee with me in studio. Uh, the SMS you you've lit it all up here on the back of uh, our Novak Djokovic discussion. Zero four six seven nine two zero triple two. What a surprise! Stop sugarcoating <laughs> Novak. He's a phenomenal yeah, athlete, as his record suggests. Uh, however, despite his positive qualities, he still carries on like a pork chop. And then the next text message, just to give you some perspective, to stay on top of his game, sport or career, as long as Novak has is incredible. Just look at a night with Novak and all he does with the kids and the charities. He's an enigma, uh, but he goes against the grain sometimes. So a little true. bit of... Um, Th- that's true. Yeah. Bit bit split on uh, on on that discussion. Zero four six seven nine two zero triple two. Isla Tomjanovic. Yes. So she is obviously the, you know, the best of the Australian hopes. Uh, obviously, Australia ended their 44-year wait with Ash Barty a couple of years ago. She'll be up against it, but uh, she hasn't played here for a couple of years, trying to make it out of the second round for the first time. Here she was yesterday, fronting the press. I, I think I'm always dangerous in these stages of the tournament. Um, I still feel like, you know, people don't want to play me, and especially in the early rounds. Oh, I like that. People don't want to play me, especially in the early rounds. Can she... Could you get out of the first? Uh, the I haven't round seen her first, first round draw. Who's she got the first round? That is a great question. She has. Uh, just give me your take so that on. That was just slightly out of it. So I just got just it in wanted... front of me. She. Oh, she's got Petra Martic first round. Yeah, I think. There we go. Look, that's not so easy because Petra's got a very good serve. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. 16. Um, yeah, so Petra Martic is is tricky, and I think the winner may play Ostapenko. I'll just have a look. Two, four, six, eight. 10, 12, 14, 16. Yeah, the winner plays Ostapenko, who's playing the final now. That's a very, very, very tough second round. Can I just say that? Mm. Uh, Ostapenko's got Kimberly Birrell, who's a terrific young player, uh, the Aussie uh, in the first round. But, you know, you'd expect Yelena Ostapenko to win that match. Um, Look, you know, let's be fair to Isla. She's coming back after a long time out. She did terrifically uh, at, Un- at United Cup. I mean, she really played very, very well. Lost a close match to Pagula and showed, you know, she's still, even though her ranking doesn't reflect it, the number one Australian player. Um, so I think it's just too early for Isla to make a big run, but but she will scare, um, you, you know, she, I mean, she'll have support and I think, I think she can get through the first round, but it's not easy and be tough to get through the second round, to be really honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the highest ranked Australian player yes. isn't playing. That's true. Arena <laughs> <laughs> Roddy Novi, yes. He, this, yep. is, this is John Millman, by the way, on the ABC Tennis Podcast when he was asked about <laughs> Roddy and Novi. I'm looking forward to hearing Not this. getting a wild card. I think that was a bit of a shambles decision, if I'm to be honest with you, Catherine. Um, this is where I won't uh, sit on the fence with my opinions. Um, it came down in the end to Arena and, and Daria Gavrilova, Dasha. I don't even think it should have come down to that because I think they probably should have been the first two ladies that were given a wild card. I think Dash has proven that she's a, you know, a high quality player. She's been so unfortunate with injuries and I know how hard personally she's, she's worked to get back to this stage. And I have no doubts she'll kick goals and she'll be top hundred very soon. But the other person that should have been one of the first people given a wild card is Arena Rodianova. You can't be, Australia's top-ranked player in, in female tennis and be overlooked. Not to mention, not to forget, but to mention that she, she won 78 matches last year. Like she's gone out there. She's shown an unbelievable appetite for hard work. She's shown an appetite for winning matches. 
and she's gone out there and she's done it the hard way. I am a bit baffled and I won't be sitting on the fence with that one. I think that she should have been one of the first names being given the opportunity. She started off the year well in Brisbane. I think age is just a number. I know she's, she's getting a little bit older, but you're the number one ranked female player. You should be given the nod. There's another conversation about whether John Millman should have That's been a, given one as well, one. but we'll start with Arena Roddy and over. We don't have so many women's players that are going that crash hot at the moment, and yet she's the highest ranked. She won a heap of matches last year. She doesn't get a wild card. How does that happen? Yeah, she won 78 matches, as uh, John Millman said, and she did win two matches in Brisbane, which might have tipped her over the line. It was a shame it came down to between Dasha Gavrilova and... And Arena, I mean, of course, Dasha then, you know, has played very well in Hobart this week and got to the semifinals and nearly beat Mertens in the semi, lost 7-5 in the third. So she's wanted, I guess, show that she deserves it. But, you know, a couple of younger girls got the wild card, like Hideki and uh, Taylor Preston. But I saw Taylor Preston play a couple of days ago at Kuhl, and she was terrific. Uh, had a terrific win over Fervatova. And... Uh, and you know, is you know, you've got to go youth as well. I I, I would agree with John that um, as the number one ranked Australian woman, she did deserve to be in the draw. In the draw, I would agree with John about mm. that. Um, but and it should not have been at the expense expense of Dasha Gavrilova. I think in a holistic picture, you know, maybe one of the younger ones might have missed out because because in the end of the day. Her story in being her age and winning 78 matches and not quitting, you know, retiring and going gracefully in the sunset and fighting her way back to close to the top 100 is just a great role model message for younger players. That's why I think she's a little bit stiff because that's, that's basically this is how you do it. You grind and you'll be rewarded. So that's why it's a, she's a little stiff. Yeah, I know it's a tough decision. I've been in that place before when you're going to make calls and you do have to make calls but as the number one that could have tipped the scales in her favour it feels to me like a philosophy thing too like what do you as a tournament director or as the tournament overall view the wild cards as do you view them as the futures market where you give a prospects do you view them as a reward to great players for tremendous service in which case yeah she should absolutely qualify on the year that she's had or are you using them as some kind of yeah commercial leverage to get players in that otherwise wouldn't get the chance but yeah it's all of the above and you've got to remember the tournament director actually you know, only kind of kicks into the last minute. It, it really is the player de- development uh, department of Tennis Australia that makes a call, and of course, they're looking to the future. They tend to choose the wild cards because they're worrying about the develop. Their, their job is to develop Australian tennis, and of course, they're naturally going to favour the younger players. But I think she had a message for the younger players in what she did, and I think there is some stature in being the number one in your country. And it's tough to miss your national open when you're the number one player in your country in any sport. So I think it, 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 I understand what John's saying, and I, I tend to agree. Can I put it that way? Yes, <laughs> yeah. I like it. No, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to take that. The other part of the conversation, which is fascinating, which always happens because the Australian Open's happening right now, and it's here. People are saying, oh, how can we've got this exchange deal where we're giving away wild cards to the French and to the US Open? Not remembering that Ricky Hijikata, I think, got a wildcard recently. <laughs> Went on a bar. The US Open got the fourth round. Exactly got to the right. round of 16. So That's right. It, it has worked well for Australia in the past at other slams, perhaps when you know, the general um, you know, sports fans yeah. aren't paying attention. And I was tournament director when we were making those deals. So they can blame me if they want. Don't have to blame the current <laughs> guy. But basically, you're talking about the, 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 the lower-ranked Aussies, whether to get a wildcard, versus helping a higher-ranked Aussie who's just missing a Grand Slam at Roland Garros or Wimbledon at the US Open. So you've got to weigh up in the development cycle, which is the way to go. The other thing is the Grand Slams like to stick together. I mean, there's not one with England because it, it's not a federation, it's a club. So it doesn't have a player development program, Wimbledon. So it just does what yeah. its own thing because it's a tennis club like Kuyong. It's not a federation. 
So with the US, the French and Australia, um, they like to stick together and look after each other because, you know, the tours would like to be the big dogs in the sport, um, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, they're getting thrown a lot of money by the likes of Saudi Arabia, et cetera, et cetera. The slams have got to stick together. So this is part of, part of the Grand Slam culture. And you talked before about the journey of different players, some getting in the tournament. You mentioned it was 120,000 or something like that to be in the first round. You've got to remember that only happens at the four slams. The slams cop it, and yet they are lifting the fact that the top 100 men and women can make a living. Without the slams, that would not be the case. And the next 100 are making a living because the slams have really lifted the prize money and qualifying. So I just want to put the other side that the people like to criticize the slams. They are doing the heavy lifting in the sport and they kind of need to stick together a little bit. Mm. No, I, I, it's a, I mean, I was on the Grand Slam Committee, so I've got a bit of inside, uh, yeah. inside knowledge here. But, you know, how it works. Yeah. So, d- so less so, hey, let's not get too bent out of shape about what's happening right here, right now, and think a little bit forward. There is a bigger to, picture, yeah. and the Grand Slam exchange on the wild cards, as I said, it will help someone like Hijikata, who would have got the wild card here anyway, but then gets one for the US Open that he wouldn't have got. And then maybe... You know, the seventh-ranked Aussie didn't get the wild card here. And, and you know, but, but what we used to do, and we still do, is that if an Aussie didn't get in the singles, we'd look after the Aussie in the doubles wild card or the mixed doubles wild card. Make sure as many Australians as possible are in the tournament. Yeah. That, that was my philosophy. All right, the other side of it then. So he's given an opinion there. But John Melman, should he have got one to be able to end his career at Melbourne Park in the main draw as opposed to bowing out in qualifying? That's a... That's interesting. I, I think if there was space, of course, John, look, it would have been great for John to bow out that way. Um, I, to be honest, I was surprised. And I love John. And, he, and I, I tweeted, you know, please stay in the sport. You've got, you've just got such an important voice. He expresses it. And he, please stay in the sport. I was surprised he didn't try and get one for Brisbane. Or maybe he didn't get one. And he played United Cup and was never going to play at United Cup. So I wasn't sure what that was about. Because he could have, I thought, had his farewell at home in Brisbane. Yet either chose not to. So for me, it's more controversial what happened in Brisbane, why he didn't play there. And, and did he not get a wild card there? If he didn't get a wild card in Brisbane or Melbourne, I'm upset. Yep. So I don't, I don't know the backstory on Brisbane because really that could have been a farewell for him up there two weeks ago because he's a Queensland guy, you know. And But he, he chose to be on the bench in United Cup. So there was something weird around that for me. So he should have known earlier that he wasn't getting an Oz Open wild card? Uh, I think he... I think he had a pretty good idea he wasn't going to get one. So right. I'm not sure what the Brisbane call was. I mean, I think he should have got one or the other. And... and um, He's stiff not to get one this Australian Open because he had played the great five-set match with Federer. Yeah. He beat Federer at the US Open. I mean, uh, I, th- I think if he was French, he would have got one at the French Open probably, you know, because they love to have that farewell at, the, at our National Grand Slam. It, it was very tricky. Um, he, he had a lot of injuries. Um, Do you know what's the easiest thing in the world is for me to sit in my spot and say, how come he didn't get one and how come she it, didn't it, get one? <laughs> I'm trying to say it's not so easy. Oh, but I, but, I but we love John and he, and he didn't yeah. get the farewell he should have got. Can I yeah. just say that? In and, Brisbane or Melbourne. And let's be honest, like in yeah, my role, for example, I'm a general sports broadcaster. Yeah, you're looking for storylines and people that are yeah. easy to sell. John Melman's easy to sell. Sure. Arena Rodinova, you say, oh, look, it's very easy to market and say she's the highest ranked Australian player. That's why she should be there. So I, I can understand why they've got a bit of, um, bit of mainstream exposure. 
treasure uh, this week. I, I, we're going to have a lot of fun, I think, you and I, over the next uh, 15 days. We've got a lot to, uh, to chop up at the Australian Open. Is there anything as a hardcore tennis guy that you duck in for these two weeks? You come back here to Australia and you think, gee, they're all banging on about this kind of stuff. Is there anything that jumps out at you where you think that the sport should be perceived differently or there's something that perhaps tennis doesn't sort of push into the mainstream as much as you would, you would like to be covered during the Oz Open? I may maybe that they think it will tennis players are rich in sport and things like that, and nothing could be further from the truth because it, it's only at the top where all the riches are. The poor players that are not in the top 100, I mean, they're rooming together, they can't afford to bring a coach out. Uh, they're really, really struggling, and and so the sadness of the sport is um, it's it's wanting to gravitate to the top, and and even there's talk with the ATP of a premium tour now, and that, that means. 50 guys will make a great living and then the rest, you know, what happens to them. I'm I'm not a fan of the model in tennis, to be really honest. The fact that you've got just one ATP tour and I know golf's wanting to go that way. I think it's a big mistake. I mean, golf should be more international, but there's only one tour. Golf has five tours. You've got 700 players making a living, 500 women making a living. I mean, it's a completely different model and it's more monetized than tennis. Even though tennis has more eyeballs, Far more prevalent. I mean, golf's, you know, Thursday to Sunday in daylight hours. We're seven days a week around the yeah. globe, 365 days a, a year. So the, 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 I just think the, the public needs to understand how tough it is for players um, that, that are on the edge of the Australian Open in qualifying or not in qualifying. And it's, 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 it's brutal. And it's so hard to get to be at the top of the sport now because every country is playing. I mean, you look at the names in the draw, um, most people can't pronounce them. I mean, they're for all over the world. It's, 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 a, and, and they can all play on all surfaces now. Before, you know, the Aussies and Americans and Brits played on grass, the Europeans played on clay, clay. and the South Americans yeah. and the Americans played on hard court. Now they can play on all surfaces. I mean, Alcrest, he's, he won Wimbledon beating Djokovic, one of the grass court greats. So it just shows you how there's a change in this game. Now, this is a very in depth preview that I'm running here, Paul. So um, you're, I'm going to ask you to be part of it. I hope that you'll accept my invitation. There are seven very difficult questions, but I think you're, uh, you're able to weave your way through it. First of all, the Australian Open winner for both the men's and the women's. Djokovic Rubikina. Okay. Any, any more on that? Any reason why? Well, I think, you know, I think... Carlos Alcaraz is a little bit underdone, but he's going to be massive in the sport. We touched on that. Sinner is his biggest threat semi-final, so uh, you know that'll be a, that'll be some cracking match if they get through. So no, I think Novak, as I said, playing Sunday night means he's fit. Otherwise, he wouldn't be playing tomorrow. Yep, uh, I've been asking everyone who their highest-ranked national will be. Uh, uh, friends from Britain and from America and everything else. Uh, highest-ranked Australian, I think you're going to say Australian man. It's of course going to be hard to beat. Even all, yeah. Highest-ranked Australian woman at the end of the year. Do you have a prediction? Uh, uh, oh, look, Tom Lanovich. She'll, yep. she'll get a ranking back. She's okay. playing pretty well, yeah. Who will win their first major this year? ATP and WTA tours, if you have one. Oh, Sinner, Sinner definitely on the men. Well, it's not definite because I don't think – I think Novak will edge him out here. Yep. Uh, it's Alcaraz is the favourite for the French and just – you know that's that's all it's clear favourite for the French Open. Okay, can I put it that way? <laughs> Wimbledon is Djokovic or Alcaraz. Um, you yep. know, probably Djokovic still the favourite. So not Yannick on grass and not Yannick on clay. So you, you're if looking it's at not here. It's then then you then you're talking York. the U.S. Open, um, yeah. and he's got a shot there. So 
uh, will win one in the next two years, a hundred percent, you know, as close to a hundred percent as you can get, but not necessarily okay. this year, as, as, even though he's one of the top three now, the big three, he, he absolutely is. And the women's draw, we've had a lot of first time slam winners in recent yes. times. I mean, on Jabir, then you've got guys like Maria Sakkari and Jessica Pagula on the yeah. fringes. Any of them you think? Can well, Jabir's got a chance at Wimbledon doing you know, Yana Botna did when unfortunately she choked against Steffi, set in 5-1, five, five, lost the match, but came back and won it over Natalie Torsier. So I think on Jabir on grass, um, it's not Swantec's best surface. Um, Ribikin is very, very good on grass. So, so you know, look, I, look, Ribikin would be the favourite there at Wimbledon, but you know, on, if she lost, on Jabir's got a chance. Uh, and the number one player in the world at the end of the calendar year in both the men's and the women's. I'll agree with I'll agree. Well, Alcaraz has called that it'll be Sinner. And I'll call Alcaraz. Just. Ooh. Yeah, I think Alcaraz will be number one uh, at the end of the year. Because no, I don't think Novak will... He can't possibly win as much again and play as much again. So he, he's just super player. But I, I think you know, reality's got to come sometime. Um, and on the women's side, uh, yeah, look, probably... Swantec, yeah, she's a committed, committed person. Yeah, she'll she'll probably be number one. Yeah, okay, I'm happy to uh, to lock you in for those. That that was Ribikina though is is a threat. She's a really really good player. Yeah, it's a pretty in depth preview, isn't it? You can see what I've done here. I've gone through and key yeah. questions, and it's amazing. Oh, yeah, amazing. Uh, we've been able to work our way through. <laughs> Paul McNamee with me in studio. A couple off the SMS before we go. Uh, Cole in Cleveland. I've listened to your program on the tennis this morning. Uh, not a word about the name seedings and the Aussie prospects within the junior championships for both the boys and the girls. It's been totally neglected. Gee, the junior championships, that's, uh, that's early to get into that, isn't it? I'm sure we'll mention the boys and the girls as the tournament progresses. We've got 15 whole days of tennis chat coming up. That's right. That's and, right. Uh, you know, it, 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 the girls is not so relevant in a way because a lot of them are already playing in the senior band. Like Mira Andreeva's 16, although she got to the final last year of the junior band. She's playing in the senior band. Um, it, our development program doesn't focus on the juniors. Can I just say that we've been notable absentees from a lot of slams in the last few years, which, you know, yeah, look, so anyway, um, mm-hmm. yeah. There we go. Uh, surely wildcard means next best is an SMS. Not always perceived that way, certainly in uh, on this occasion. And this is one for you, Paul, which is a personal message. Hey, gents, I had the great pleasure of working with Macca on the first ever Hopman Cup. I remember getting close to the start of the event and worked out that we didn't have a trophy. So I drove to someplace in Cudale, I think, and chose the Hopman Cup. Good on you, Macca, for reviving Who is that? this amazing format from Donna Fox. <laughs> oh, my God, Donna Fox. Wow. Uh, that's a name from the... Yeah, we, we called her... Her nickname was... We called her Fax. Oh, no, what, she, so, we got a... Uh, she's, she's written in brackets, Faxy. Fa- yeah, no, well, I'll tell you why Faxy, because <laughs> she gave two budgerigars as a present to my wife and I at the time for our wedding, you see. And so we called them facts and fiction, you see. <laughs> so, Donna, that, this is a very big personality woman. Yeah, I had a, yeah it was, was a yeah, top lady. So uh, hi to Donna. Yeah. Uh, thanks, heaps, for coming in. Can't wait to work with you uh, tomorrow night. It's amazing yeah, absolutely. that it's, it's uh, around the corner. And we've got Novak first yeah, up, so we, we can do. talk more about uh, how he's progressing as, uh, as well, obviously, leading into this tournament. Did you see Nick Kyrgios tweet about his wrist injury, actually? He said it might have been caused by the balls that we use off this surface. Yeah, well, there's still some complaints about the balls flopping up. I mean, the, yeah. you know, and I, would, I was just out there on the courts. The, um, yeah, look, uh, put one in my pocket. Yeah, there's slightly, slightly... Um, 
however, it's, it's Dunlop Ball's a very good ball. I mean, yeah. I don't think there'll be much chat about it. But Nick, 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 you know what? He's got a tennis brain. That guy. He's he's mm. really got the tennis smarts. I mean, I'm just mm. saying that. For you. He's he knows his stuff, Nick. He, he does some outrageous things, yeah. but he knows his stuff. Yep. Nah, looking forward to that. And then following it, uh, Arena Sabalenka obviously is in action as well, the defending champion, the women's draw. What a way to start. First night of the, uh, the Australian Open. Yeah, the two defending champions. That's fantastic first night. So they want to know that Sunday, Sunday, night, Sunday is real. It, look, that means it's not going anywhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're not setting it up to fail first no, up. There's, no, uh, no. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Paul, thanks heaps for, uh, for thanks coming Gordon, in. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll work with you tomorrow night looking throughout the tournament. It, yeah. Paul McNamee, one of the, uh, the all-time greats with me here on Summer Grandstand. Just to shout out the ABC Listen app is the place to go to find coverage of the tennis. Look out for that big fluffy green tennis ball. If you click on that, it's got the ABC worm on top of it. You'll be able to listen to all the day sessions, all the night sessions, uh, all of it throughout the Australian Open. You can find it through the ABC Listen app. There's tennis on at the moment in Hobart. Uh, There's a match being played in the final between Elise Mertens and uh, Emma Navarro. Uh, And a short time ago, we told you that Navarro took the first set there, 6-1 over Mertens. So early stages of the second set will keep you updated throughout. In Auckland, just repeating that Alejandro Tabilo is victorious there, the Chilean. So he wins world number 82. 6-2, 6-2, his uh, victory over Daniel. So uh, well done to Alejandro Tabillo, who claims victory uh, at the Adelaide International. Uh, I don't know if we've got a coverage of Adelaide just yet, whether Aaron's available or not. No, he's not. Uh, coming up, men's singles. Jack Draper up against Yuri Lahechka. So that is the men's final. It's going to start at 4.30 Australian Eastern Daylight Time. So Draper and Lahechka, who's the seventh seed. And in the women's single, it's going to be Ostapenko up against Kaskina. Have you got a pick for them, Paul, for us? We'll get Jack some tips. Big, Jack, Drape, Jack Draper's got a big future in the sport, the young British guy. I, yeah. I saw him firsthand at Sofia, where, I, where I'm based in Bulgaria, and he was unbelievable. He's got a big, big future. So I'm going to pick Draper to beat Lahechka. And on the women's side, you've got to go with Ostapenko. Uh, uh, and what a character she is. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. She's, uh, she gave some great interviews already. Oh, she is. Uh, yeah, special. Yeah. yeah. How's uh, the big Grigor Dimitrov fans over in, uh, oh, in, Bul- of, in Bulgaria? Of, of course. Yeah, and he won Brisbane. I mean, yeah. there, there's a guy who's a dark horse. Him. I mean, yeah. he's a dark horse for the tournament. I mean, the guy, Grigor will do damage. Yeah. Playing very, very well. Back yeah. to top 15. Is great, big, great effort. Is he a big deal in Bulgaria? Yeah. Probably, yeah. Hello. Huge. Probably the biggest star in the whole country. In, wow. In, in, not just sport, the whole thing. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, I've said goodbye to you twice. How's that, mate? I thought we were going to the tennis, but uh, I I can't can't get away from him, Paul McNamee. So we appreciate him uh, coming in. I'll be with him tomorrow night for coverage of the first night at the Australian Open.